what's the first thing you would tell people about what you do? Well, I would say right now, a lot of my income comes from teaching, but you know, my, in my heart, it's kind of like artist, engineer, uh, and content creator, I would say, um, you know, that, that's kind of where my passion lies. That's what got me into all of this. Um, and that's where like, you know, I hope to further more of my time and more of my income as time goes on, um, you know, in those kind of fields. I love teaching. It's super rewarding, but that's kind of just paying the bills right now for the most part. When you, when you say teaching, is it specifically production or do you teach, um, like, is it composition? Like what angle are you teaching from? My, my technical position is I'm the director of recording arts and commercial music at the Chicago Academy for the Arts. And it's a, uh, you know, it's like a pretty private, ritzy, like art school. Like it's a super fancy, fancy school. And there's a lot of like really cool people that go there and, and like the children of really cool people too. Um, so it's a really pretty esteemed uh, school in Chicago. And um, so I teach recording, I teach production, uh, like music business and marketing and like just mindset stuff around creativity. So it's kind of like a whole program that offers a lot of the different the different uh, avenues and, and like streams or whatnot are you are you currently is that like all online at this point it's actually like a hybrid schedule right now so what happens is mondays and tuesdays i'm in the building i do a little bit of like supervision in the mornings uh just for for the whole department just to make sure that you know kids are keeping distant and, and uh, observing the guidelines and all of that and then those days i teach and then um like Fridays is virtual for lessons and stuff like private lessons. That's cool. That's cool that there's like, there's, there's windows for both so that if, yeah, because I've never been part of a, uh, like I, I, where I grew up, there was never any sort of like specific high schools. Like I know in Minneapolis there, there are different schools that focus on different arts and, and like, I think there's high schools that focus on engineering and such. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also never went to college. So it, it just sounds like really cool and it does sound really rewarding to be, to be in, in a scenario like that. What, what, like what age group is it? Is it typically in that high school window? Right. So ninth grade to 12th grade standard U S high yeah. school age. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is, it is awesome. It is super rewarding. I mean, not only because I get to talk about Ableton and pro tools all day long and like music, but you know, like I think about the audio program that I had in college and in a lot of ways, this program was modeled off of that. And, Man, if I if I was in high school with the opportunities and the resources that these kids have, you know, I I wouldn't have to be teaching at that school right now. You know, it's just it's it's such a an amazing environment. It's such an amazing creative space. I mean, they have so many students to jam with, to play with, to collaborate with, and it's just it's all in high school. And the interesting thing is the age group, there's some of them that I don't think really realize yet what they have advan you know, the advantages that they have and what they're um, what they have access to. And it's, it's kind of like sometimes eventually, especially like second and, and um, like, I guess, third and fourth year students, like juniors and seniors, they, um, they kind of, you see a switch a little bit where they're like, you can tell they really are kind of getting grateful for what they have there. And they, they're trying to eat it all up and absorb as much of it as they can. Um, you know, and it's a really cool thing to see because yeah, man, if I had that in high school, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be game changer. That's so interesting too, to think of like, I wonder, I wonder if that type of high school experience encourages, like innately encourages people to be more engaged and take stock of like what they have and, and, and value it more rather than 
rather than just everybody meets the same, you know, everybody's held to the same standard of like, you take these classes, you get these grades and you're good. Um, a, a school scenario where you actually get to choose what you're engaged in right. to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like that just sets you up so much better to be an adult, <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, because as somebody who just went to regular public high school, um, the first two or three years after high school were kind of where I figured out like what I actually wanted to do and like even what I was good at, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think that's amazing. Yeah. It definitely starts the path a little earlier for them. I'd say. Um, yeah. You know, the, the new Jake from state farm commercials that they've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, uh, that guy actually graduated from the high school that I teach at. Really? Yeah. They've been talking about that a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole reason that I actually work there is because the recording program was was started when I started there as a as a donation. Like the whole thing was started as a donation. Um, that's because they have a graduate who graduated in the '90s, who is like one of BMI's most rated songwriters, um, and they actually are credited for writing like "Sorry" by Justin Bieber and some Imagine Dragons stuff. And they they basically said like, "Hey." You know, we want to, we want to build a, like a school, like a, like a recording program. Um, and they sent like something like six figures to build the whole thing and to pay for my, my, uh, my contract for the last three years. It's super cool, you know, and it's really great to see that they gave back like that. But what an amazing way to, to like, if you, because I've actually talked with a lot of people recently about, you know, that whole, like fame is just one of those things or like breakthrough success is one of those things that just happens. You don't really have control over that. You're, you're responsible for just like showing up and being who you are and doing what you do. And it's just really great to see that like a lot of people who, who reach that, I think that's just a sign that they are grateful and it's like, I'm going to give back into this. Um, because I think that especially in the past year, I think a lot of people have realized that um, the arts as, as, um, like a function of society aren't just this expendable thing, you know, like if, if anything, it's quite the opposite. I feel like people are just so, so desperate for, um, like interactions at like, people just want to go to shows, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, uh, restaurants are starting to come back and, and like, stores are open and things like that but people are just so desperate to like go to shows uh book sessions Mm -hmm. and um it's just that is one of the 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 cogs i guess in in you know keeping society like fully functioning you know and if you just strip that away it's like we can't we can't not have that so i think that's amazing and i think it's creating a really cool vacuum uh for when things do open up you know, I think it, I, I tell my some of my students this and some of the artists that I work with um, and even myself, like, you know, hey, if you want to perform, like there's going to be a really big opportunity because every place is going to want to have people in, you know. But at the same time, you're going to have so many musicians like never before wanting to perform, you know, because how many people do you know that throughout quarantine picked up guitar or picked up singing? You know, it's like a lot, it was a great opportunity for a lot of people. I think Guitar Center I read a stat sometime, it was like a year ago, but like Guitar Center or a place like that, or like maybe Gibson or something or a guitar company was was making a lot of unexpected money 
over the coronavirus just because people were going and, you know, chalk, checking off their bucket list items of like, oh, I want to learn guitar. All right, now's the time kind of thing, you know. But right. I think it really is going to create a really awesome opportunity for live performance and for new musicians kind of breaking out onto the scene. And I'm excited for it, for sure. Do you get the opportunities as somebody, because, you know, I'm an outside observer and and viewing like your YouTube channel, which is, which is, is like growing healthily, like you passed, when did you pass a thousand subscribers? That was, I think that was early December um, of last year. So that was that was really cool for me because my when I started it, <clears throat> I started it in February of 2020 before the pandemic started. I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and I just thought, all right, you know, it's time to start a YouTube channel. I've been playing with the idea for quite a few years and never really just nailed myself down to doing it. Um, and it turned out being a really good year to start because so many people were online learning stuff, you know, and I think that a lot of the growth has, you know, took advantage of that, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, so it, my goal initially was to hit a thousand in the first year. So from February, I think it was like February 18th to the next year, 2021, February 18th. And I actually hit it in December, which was awesome. So I think I'm at like 1400 now and just, you know, trying to keep, keep growing and see what I can do in the second year. I, I want to come back to that. Cause there, I have a lot of questions about your YouTube channel and the, specifically like the type of content on your YouTube channel. Um, but I guess on that that subject, being somebody who's growing a, a an online platform and somebody who is teaching as much as you are, like, do you get to do you get to gig? Is that something that is a big part of your life? Not right now, uh, and and that that's kind of hard for me to say, just because it's something that I very deeply want to have happen. Um, I was in a band in high school. It wasn't anything serious. It was kind of just something that we started and we played like you know, the neighborhood battle of the bands. And we had a couple book shows. We were working with a promoter for a while who ended up, you know, completely ripping us off as is mm. the case with, you know, most high school bands. But, um, you know, I loved it. Like I thrived on stage in that setting. It was just so much fun for me. And I kind of have a bit of a performance background because I've, I took classical piano lessons from like age four until I graduated high school. So like something like 15 years and we would have like you know, three recitals a year. I won a couple competitions and stuff. I'm way out of shape with that now since I focused on the recording stuff, but that's always been something that I really want to get back, back into the swing of things. Um, you know, it's just, I feel like it's my element in a lot of ways. And the longer I'm away from it, it, it's, uh, I feel the effect it has. So I'm, I'm curious what, cause I hear a lot of, a, a lot of unique answers to this question. So what was it that because I also come from a background that isn't like recording, songwriting, production. Um, how did you end up becoming like how did how did these things end up becoming a staple like production, recording, composition, recording content sure. um, with a background in in performing? You know, I, it's hard for me to pinpoint like a, a, a transition when it changed, because for the longest time, even up until my I would say, you know, uh, like junior year of high school when I was like looking into colleges, um, I thought I was going to go into piano performance. Um, but it, but it kind of like the interest in recording started in high school, like probably my sophomore year where, um, I was, I was with the band and we were trying to figure out demos and the drummer who lives, you know, who lived down the street at the time for me, he, um, he had like a bunch of just random audio gear. And I think it was because if I remember correctly, he had like a, a neighbor or a family member who worked at a music store and the music store was closing down. So they were just like 
loaning him stuff, giving him stuff. And he just had a ton of stuff that he didn't know how to use. Um, and so I kind of just started fumbling through it and trying to figure it out because we were tracking demos and we needed to, you know, we needed a way to submit to like the talent shows and the, you know, the, the competitions and stuff. So, um, that's kind of how it started. And I think that once the band broke up, um, I kind of was at a crossroads where I was like, I really want to make music, but I don't want to rely on other people because it was kind of a, a negative experience, at least towards the end. And, you know, it just kind of got in the way of like creativity for me. So I was like, yeah, I want to figure this out. I want to learn how to make tracks on my own. And for a while in um, like early college, I was like really into like electronic music and EDM because I felt like that was like the way to do it myself, you know. I've never really been super into hip hop, which is kind of interesting because a lot of my clients now are hip hop. Um, but, um, you know, so EDM was kind of where I put my focus. And eventually, kind of midway through, I got to the point where I'm like, you know, no, I actually probably was more of my senior year. But I got to the point where, like, for me, that was never the most inspiring. That was kind of a, like a cop out in a way that was like, you know, I'm not going to face my fears when it comes to writing lyrics or face my fears when it comes to singing in front of people. I'm just going to focus on EDM so I can just go up there, press a couple buttons and everyone will think I'm awesome. You know, so as I reached like junior year, senior year of college, I was kind of like, you know, and granted, I was studying recording and all, all that during this time. But I got to the point where I'm like, you know, I really like what I feel is like songwriting. What I feel is singing. What I feel is, you know, instrumental performance. Um, you know, love piano, love guitar. And so, yeah, it kind of like transitioned into that. And YouTube has always just been like, in my mind, one of the best ways to grow a following as an artist, because, you know, there's so many people just uploading stuff to distribution and, and hoping it sticks. And I knew that like, I, I, I didn't think that I could get anywhere if I just did that. So I figured, you know, I better give myself the best chance I can. And the really awesome thing about YouTube, and I feel like a lot of people don't realize this, is it's not just a social media, it's a search engine. And it's actually the second most popular, most used search engine next to Google. And the cool thing about that is if you strategically create content and what they call search-based content, and you make content that is tagging to keywords people are already searching, you know, there's a lot of possibility for growth and there's a lot of possibility for traffic, um, more so than just, you know, artist X releasing album X and no one's ever heard their name or title before and they're not searching for it, you know. So YouTube started as and still kind of is intended to be a platform for the music that I intend to release down the road. I don't know if you follow Ian Allison. Yeah. He's like one of my he's like one of my idols, you know, in in like the best way. He just embodies so many of the the great characteristics I hope to one day. And uh, one of one of his outlooks on uh, social media and like growing a following is that like give away, give away like the stuff that you have that's valuable, like just give it away. Um, because if you come out the gate and it, it can be done, but like if you come out the gate saying like, hey, I have something that you want and pay me for it, or go to my Spotify and stream it. Yeah. Even if it's not a specific, because usually it's not like, oh, I don't want to because, you know, that's off-putting. But people just don't, if they don't know, if they don't have a context for who you are or what you do, um, people's attention spans are so small. So they're going to go to like who they already follow. Um, and so I think giving away your best stuff for free is very much like it's a way to bring people in 
in a genuine way. Like you're helping people out way more than they'll ever help you. For sure. And yeah. um, and then when the time comes where you do say like, hey, you know, I've been giving stuff away for, you know, three years or something. And then you decide I'm going to release a song. You can just mention it. And the the interest is there already because the interest is there for the stuff that you've been generously just giving out. Yeah. And it's like I spent years delaying YouTube because I didn't know how this would turn out. But I mean, for people out there listening who might be thinking about starting a channel, I mean, at, at 1400 subscribers, I'm making about $200 a month passive income. You know, I never thought that was possible. Like I never thought that was possible, you know, so it benefits me too. And it's, it's like to think about scaling it up from here. I mean, and that's just through Amazon affiliates and, you know, a little bit of ad revenue that I only turned on once I hit a thousand and 4,000 hours watch hours. So that was like mid January. But yeah, I mean, like it's, if you're thinking about it, do it. Cause they're like, and honestly that, that income is probably from four videos out of the 52, I think that I have on YouTube, you know, it's like, it's a couple videos strategically done, you know, f based off of people, things that people are already searching for. But yeah, it, it's inspiring. Cause I, I just, I want to scale it up and I want to see what's possible with it. So I'd be curious to like go into the specifics of like what particular, um, what videos are in that short list of videos that are making the majority of, of revenue and why you think those are the particular ones maybe and maybe you know maybe it's not so much a think so much as as you know at this point let me pull up my uh my youtube thing here um side note i just started running ads um not like the youtube ads on my videos but doing promotion on videos um just because like one thing i've noticed with youtube and maybe this is just because I, my channel's still relatively small but um there will be periods where I'll get like 10 subscribers a day and it'll feel awesome. And I'll have like a bunch of comments to respond to. And then there will be times where it seems like the channel is just a ghost town, you know, for like a week or two weeks. And it gets really discouraging because it's like, whoa, what happened? Like, did the algorithm just decide to spit me out? You know, but I, I think like sticking with it has always proved that it comes back. And the one thing that's interesting, even with these videos that are doing well, is a lot of the times the ones that I think will do well aren't always the ones that I think that end up doing well. And the ones that do do well, sometimes are a video that, you know, I feel bad saying this, but like I threw together in an hour and now it's got <laughs> 20,000 views, you know? So it's like, it, it it's kind of, and that's part of me just like figuring out how to predict it better and all of that as I, as I go on. But, um, so the, the one that's doing the best right now is my, um, my 49 key MIDI keyboards. Um, Second yeah. best is five best budget audio interfaces. Third best, which surprises me, is I have this um, this hardware synthesizer. It's the Virus Access Virus TI2. The third best is that one. It's just a, a couple sound demos of presets, you know, that I that I put up on there. Um, and then uh, the one that the first one to ever hit twenty thousand, which was kind of a milestone, is um, this. It's best best laptops for music production. And the way I, the reason I made that is um, Google Trends is a really great resource for this. Uh, you can go on Google Trends and you can type in something like Ableton Live or, you know, best laptop for music production. And it will tell you how how many people are searching for it. And so that video was actually based off of the search terms that came up on Google Trends. Um, and, and so like going into it, I had a good feeling that it would do pretty good. 
But the main reason videos like this helps is because, you know, the best 49 key MIDI keyboards, I'm talking about different keyboards, but they're all linked in the description as Amazon affiliate links. And same thing with the interfaces and the, and the, um, the, the laptop video. So not only am I getting a good amount of views and subscribers from those videos, but it's also pushing traffic to Amazon. And, you know, the way it works with that is if anyone clicks one of my links in the description, I get a percentage of anything they buy, whether it's the laptop or whatever they clicked on or not, within 24 hours of them clicking on my link. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I've had really random stuff that I've gotten percentages on, you know, just because, like, whatever you buy after you click the link, mm -hmm. I get a cut out of it. So was that like an application process or do you just like sign up for that and then start? and then start sending traffic their way. Yeah, so it's like a it is an application, but it's a they approve you right away, but then there's kind of like a period of time. So, for example, if you sign up, you give them all your information about your page and where you're going to be promoting it. They have a little bit of a format of how they want you to do the disclaimer. So there's certain things that I have to post in every video that just says like in the description that says, you know, as an Amazon affiliate, I earn from XYZ. Um and then from there, um, they, I think they have like, they give you like 180 days to make three sales. Once you make the three sales, and I, and I kind of misunderstood this at first. I thought that that meant that like, if I made three sales in 180 days, I was in. And I was like, you know, I, I, I think I, I jumped the gun on it a little bit because I was, I was ambitious. But I had like 130 subscribers, did it made the three sales. I think I generated like $3,000 worth of Amazon revenue for them. Yeah. I, you know, I had earned probably like $30. No, I think it was like $40 in commissions. And then they dropped me. They just said, sorry, your, your account's closed. Um, and what I think happened was when I submitted initially, I didn't see any hard, fast, like follower number guidelines or restrictions or any of that stuff. But I think they came out with a an update to their service agreement at that point that said they wanted you to have about 500 subscribers, you know, across all platforms before signing up. So they dropped me, but you can sign up again and go through mm -hmm. the process. So I waited till I hit like 530, you know, and then I resubscribed and I've been on it or I resubmitted and then I've been on it since then. Yeah. I'm glad that it didn't like permanently backfire yeah. <laughs> for jumping the mm -hmm. gun. Um, yeah, that's that's incredible. I think that I think that you doing that is the first that I've heard of people doing that, that Amazon affiliate thing, which which is great. Like, I don't know. Um, I, I. I I'm frustrated when like when people are doing demos or like when they're mentioning things and they're not linking it in the description. I feel like that should just be a given at this point. Um, because, because like, I don't know, like that's like you're saying YouTube isn't just an entertainment platform. It it's a search engine like people use it to learn things. I mean, uh, like the, the phrase YouTube University, like people who are just teaching themselves how to do whatever it is, um, you know, from music production to like home DIY uh, via YouTube. And uh, so I think that that's like everybody wins in, in my, in my opinion. So I think that that's, I think that that's so smart. Um, and I guess to, to further dive into like your YouTube channel, um, I will say that the, the first time I ever checked out your channel was I think when, 
we started following each other on Instagram, which I'm assuming was because we had a mutual friend in, in goose. Yeah. Um, and so I checked you out and, uh, and those first, those first few that you just mentioned, like the, I don't think you had the, the virus, um, uh, sound demos at the time, but the five best audio interfaces and the best budget laptops were like definitely probably the first two that I saw. Um, and I think that it's, there's not, I think you've, I think you've, and I could be wrong because you know this world much better than I do, but I feel like you've really carved out a unique space for really well-produced videos that are pulling people up from not knowing how to do production or not having the gear or not having the skills to a place where they can actually like feel like they can do things themselves. Um, and, and like some, as somebody who works as a producer, uh, myself, like I find these videos just as helpful. Like the, the, I can't remember which one I just watched, but it was like the budget, how to set up a, a studio on a budget. And it was like under $305 or something. That's the one I ran the ad on. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Like that's, that's the, like a title like that even though I have more than $305 worth of gear in my studio already, like I have a fully functioning studio, I still look at something like that and I'm like, I'm going to watch this because, because I just got to see, like, I just got to see what, what he did to, to, you know, to kind of throw together a fully functional studio on a budget. Um, and I think that that's just like, that's such needed content right now because, uh, for the past few years, music has basically music production and getting into it and learning how to do it has basically been free. Um, you know, once you own a workstation, it's basically, you know, and a, and a few basic pieces of gear. Um, but like, you know, my situation and like you're saying from your situation, a lot of people start off with borrowed gear. Um, and so the, the, the bar or like the, the gateway to entry is so, it's so easy. And um, there's so much, human creativity, human ingenuity, like, um, I don't know. It's basically, it's, it's almost like if you, if you were to say, uh, you know, college is free, you know, like in this perfect world, like college is free. And then all of the people who are these genius STEM, you know, students like just come out of the woodwork. And then we find, you know, the geniuses that we wouldn't have found otherwise. I feel like we're in that place when it comes to art in general, but specifically from the music world, like in music production, because anybody can learn just about anything they want to with very little money. And so I, I feel like content like yours and, and like Goose's, um, is, uh, is, is doing that. It's fulfilling that, or I, I should say it's, it's maybe a catalyst for that mission of empowering people to to do things themselves and be self-sustaining i find your channel very unique in that sense thank you yeah it means a lot i you know i think really in with the vision that i had for it was kind of to be like the voice that i wish i had at the time because you know being like 14 15 i think the first time i ever dove into music production was when my my parents bought like a just like the cheapest imac they could and it had garage band on it and i just kind of took the computer over messing around with garage band you know 
And I think before that I had a friend that had came over with like FL studio once. And I was like, what the heck is this? This thing's amazing. You know? Yeah. I since have given up on FL studio, but, (laughs) but I think the goal for the channel really was just to be like that voice and that like guidance for the people who, you know, are, are just getting started because it is a very overwhelming thing. There's so much paralysis of choice with it. I mean, there's so many different directions, even within music production, there's so many different pieces of gear, you know, at right now, it's hard for me to imagine what it would be like as someone just getting into it now, because I've been around all of this so long, but you know, that's kind of the goal is like my, my tag for the channel is helping creative music makers make better music at home. So the goal is, you know, anybody who already has this creative energy, who wants to do something with it, you know, how do you make a record at home? You know, and that's kind of really what I've been going on. And that's, I think what got me into it to begin with is just like, I I thought it was so inspiring that like you could make a record at home. Like, like you could make professional music at home or in your basement or your bedroom. Like, I don't know. It kind of like, it was just, it's just really inspiring to me. And that's kind of what I wanted to share with everyone. And even that last video that you were talking about the the budget uh, music production set up under $305. I had somebody comment not that long ago saying like they, they were really grateful for my video because until they saw it, they thought they would have to drop like $5,000 on a setup, you know, and they had no idea that they didn't need all that much stuff, you know? And so it was like really rewarding to see that. Cause it's like, no, I mean, it's really not the barrier to entry is not that high. And you know, the, 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 the difference between like a $305 setup and a $5,000 setup, it's there, but your creativity is what's really going to shine through, not how nice your mic was or your preamp was or your speakers. And, and don't get me wrong. I, I freaking love gear, but it's not the deciding factor because ultimately that's your creativity. And I've since helped friends, little brothers set up setups and, you know, like all that stuff and kids at the school. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. I like it for sure. And I think too, that what you're talking about, like the removing basically that, or, or, severely downsizing that that barrier to entry um if as long as people get started you know since creativity is the determining factor you know if somebody waits which is like i don't know for me in particular like i'm such a a procrastinator i'm like well when i've got when i've got this piece of gear then i'll start working on that type of thing you know, I, I, like, I use that. that excuse all the time. I still do. Yeah. I still use that excuse all the time. It's like, well, when I have this piece of gear, then I'll start recording these types of tracks mm-hmm. or I'll start doing these types of, of uh, you know, start trying to do these types of videos. Um, but as long as you can, if you can educate and convince people that the bar to entry is incredibly low, then they just start using their creativity and as long, like the sooner you can get people to start uh, actively exercising their creative muscle, um, the like that is only going to be for the better, you know. Um, so that by the time they do, like, say they do go from a three hundred dollars setup to a five thousand dollars setup or a ten thousand dollars setup, by the time they get there, they're going to be so much. They're going to be appropriately equipped for that setup mm-hmm. instead of just being, you know. Uh, almost like throwing yourself to the wolves of like you sit down in this intimidating, expensive setup uh, and and studio space. And then you have to like live up to that, but you haven't um, 
you haven't trained yourself to get to that point. Well, and one of the greatest learning experiences that you'll ever have as a music creator or a producer engineer is making bad gear sound good. You know, that's like so many people like just completely downplay that. But it's like your period from when you start to when you can afford a nice setup, you're going to learn far more than you ever will any other time making that bad gear sound good. And that you only have that opportunity once. Because, you know, once you once you get nice stuff, you're not going to go back. But, you know, take advantage of that opportunity. I wish I had more. I think, too, it also forces you to learn that there's a lot of cheap gear that stands up to the expensive gear. Yeah. Really well. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I think I think working with um, working with a lot of uh, things on a budget has taught me that the the alchemy synth in and the even the sampler synth in logic are just like incredibly powerful. Um you know, the majority of what I do, maybe this is an idea for, for a video in the future, but like, uh, or maybe you've already done something like this, but doing an entire track with nothing but alchemy synths mm -hmm. or like, you know, in the box, yeah. um, sounds because it, it's insane. Like I've heard people who do, you know, I usually pull stuff from splice for a lot of my percussion tracks and my, and my, my core drum tracks. Um, especially with like hi-hat loops and things like that. It's just so much easier to just pull something for inspiration. Um, it, but like, I don't know. I've heard people do everything, everything inside of Ableton or everything inside of Logic and make a really beautiful track. And you would, like your mind is just blown. You would never know that they spent zero dollars, zero extra dollars, you know, on, on external instruments. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it teaches you too that like, and when you're working with software synths, you learn so much transferable knowledge. You learn about the different parameters of a synth and and how how to build sounds and things like that. So when you get the expensive gear, you're that much more of a force to be reckoned with. Right. And your ear is much more developed too, you know, because it takes it takes a certain level of accuracy to to know like you know to click through the Ableton presets, which most of are most of them are garbage, um, and be like, okay. I don't like how this sounds, but I know I can, I know how I can get it to sound or, you know, here's this hi-hat. It's the closest one I could find. Let me make it even closer. You know, those exercises, which any of anyone who, who's in music production should stop at any point and do exercises like that. But, you know, those exercises are what really develop your ear. And if you walk into a studio now and start out with all this gear and everything sounds great, like you're just going to blindly trust it and you're not going to really know what's good, what isn't, and you're not going to listen. And that's like, I don't know, that's what's so invaluable about just like forcing what you have to work good. And that's why like, you know, it's really easy for me to be like, oh, I'm bored with this, this one synthesizer because I went through all the presets. Now I want to buy something else, you know, but you're far better off really knowing the stuff you have, even if you have the one synth, you know, or the one keyboard, than you are 10 different compressors, 10 different EQs, you know, just, just get one thing you really like and learn it really, really well. You know, that's all it takes. Yeah. Otherwise you'll, you'll burn through your money so fast. And I, I think it, it also like, it, for me, it, it staggers, it like preserves the joy that I find in particular instruments. If I, it, you know, it's, it's one thing to like scroll through presets and I do it a, a lot, but like going through presets and once I find a particular one that I like that's working for what I'm trying to get, I'll dive as far as I can into that presetted or that preset sound. 
and uh, and make it my own as much as I can. And I'll like I'll save it as my own preset and then use it in the next few projects and try to tweak it and make my own, you know, make my own variations of it. Um, and so it it like it creates a stagger between um, just blasting through all the presets and feeling like, oh, well, I've heard everything. You know, I've heard everything once or twice. I'm done. I need I need something else. Like I'm still finding stock sounds in Logic that I'm just like, this is insane. This sounds just like a Juno, you know, <laughs> and it's like I had no idea. Yeah, that's awesome. On a pretty different subject, when it comes to um, something you mentioned earlier about just being super inspired by the idea that you could or the realization that you can make things at home, like you can make a record at home. Was there an artist or was there a particular someone in your life um, that sort of like sparked that idea or sparked that desire? Um, because I know that there, there's always a lot of people for me when I ask, like, how did you start doing this? Um, a lot of people will mention artists who sort of do the at home thing. And now it's like anybody who's doing, I feel like any songwriters who are doing pop music, you know, all, all the people in LA, it's like they're recording in bedrooms or they're recording in living rooms. Um, and that's how people are like learning that it's even possible. Was there, was there a particular time that you saw an artist doing that? Well, I think one thing it's it's way different now, like what you're saying, which is an interesting thing that I've thought about, you know, recently. It's like it almost feels like that mystery has been kind of taken away because everybody, you know, makes music in their in their bedroom now. Everybody makes music on their laptop now. But in the you know, at a time like early, early 2000s, like late uh, before 2010 era, era, like though that period of 10 years when I was like growing up, like it was a really rare thing, you know? And, and like when I thought about when I first started having, having aspirations to like make music or being artist or like be an artist on my own, um, like it felt really overwhelming and I had annoyed, like th- it kind of felt like, all right, someone's got to find me. Someone's got to like enable me to do this. Um, and it just, it didn't feel like something that I had control or power over. Um, and I would say like, first and foremost, a friend of mine, and he, this was the friend that brought over FL Studio. It, like that was kind of the first time ever that I was aware of that, and it was like, "Whoa, what is this? How do I do this?" Like, you know, and at, at that period of time, I made like, and thank, thank, thank God they don't exist. But I made like really, really random sounds and like weird, glitchy things. Like I was just making it try to make real, like, like interesting stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Like nothing musical. And, but like we would hang out and we would work on music. And I remember just being like blown away because they like, like they were manipulating synthesizers and like I had no idea what any of it was. And at the time, I just played guitar. So I would just like play a couple of guitar things and, you know, they, they'd make some beat around it. And they were like really into like techno and, and the hard house and all that stuff. So that yeah. tended to be what we made. Um, and, you know, th- that was kind of like the start of that where I was like, you know, we, I left those experiences with files that I could go play at home, that I could burn onto a CD, that I could like show people. And that was like really, really cool. Now, at the time, I was like, yeah, this music probably isn't any good. And, you know, we weren't like, we didn't have any gear. We were just, you know, making garbage really, but it was fun and it was cool. Um, and coincidentally, and this is probably really cliche, especially from this circle, but uh, coincidentally, that 
that friend also played Fireflies for me at the same time. And I and I had never heard Fireflies or Owl City or any any of that stuff. Um, yeah. But I was like really inspired because they were also telling me like, yeah, this dude just makes it makes it at home, like in his basement. And I think like that was kind of like also one of the times where I was like, okay, so I know I can make music at home, but now like I got the validation of hearing polished music that was made at home. And like, I, you know, I did some digging and research into Adam's music and, you know, just his story and everything. And I was like, all right, this is, this is awesome. Like, this is what I want to do. And it was kind of like the first time that I had permission to like try that. And I had permission to kind of like dive into that. Um, and it was just really cool. You know, it was just like, yeah. And there were other artists along the way that, you know, weren't as influential, but I think just that first push of like, you can do this at home. Like you don't need to be, you know, you can be an average dude from the Midwest and just make some music, you know, and that was kind of, kind of just pretty cool for me. And, and full transparency, Owl City was definitely like Adam in general was, was, and has been one of my biggest inspirations as far as just like the notion that the bar to entry is just like the desire to do it. Yeah. You know, like the desire to learn and the desire to get your creativity out onto a medium that you have access to. So yeah, I totally, I totally relate to that. The first time I, the first time I heard that track too, was just like, whoa, you know, because it was the same thing. And I think part of it too is like being in Minnesota, like growing up in, in small town, Minnesota, people are like, yeah, this guy just lives in Owatonna. And yeah, and I was just like, what? <laughs> Crazy, you know? Um, and that idea of like, you know, even as a, as a 14 or 15 year old, just like having these revelations of like, but there's drums, you know, like there's. Like there's guitars, like how do you do that at home? And it just breaks down. And maybe it was that MySpace era too that broke down the idea that music had to be this big budget thing to be good, you know? Um, like that sound has just become more and more attainable. And I think there have been specific milestones in uh, professional music that have sort of uh, pulled back the the curtains on, you know, the the mystery of it and the like the illusion of, of how to make really good music, you know? Yeah. And people are like, oh, you don't, yeah, I don't have to spend $10,000 on making a record. It might take some time and I might have to learn a lot, but um, but there's value in that. And I think I've also, I've also talked at pretty decent length with Goose about this. Um, just the, the idea of, of wanting to be your own producer and, and like being okay with that because there have been times where I've worked with producers that I still, admire and cherish the opportunity to work with them whenever I, whenever I still get to. Mm -hmm. But there are times when it's like, no, I need to be the one doing this because there are ideas that I can't fully train. Like I might be able to 90% or 85% translate to somebody who knows how to do this better, yeah. how I want it done. But the, the, the only way that like you can get as close as humanly possible to the, the sound that you hear in your head is learning how to do it yourself and actually navigating that for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise there's always like the, it's like, I guess, trying to explain to somebody who speaks like UK English, when you speak US English and using all of like s the slang terms and just like region specific things, like you can get most of the ideas across, but there's like that extra 10% of like, of accuracy sure. that you can only get through being your own producer or at least being your own co-producer and so yeah. i think 
I've had to break down the idea to even to myself that like, it's not a selfish thing to want to do more things by myself. Mm. Um, it's, it's honestly a pursuit of, of growth, you know, and like yeah. trying to also, I think trying to do it some real justice. Like I want this idea to get like completely out. And, um, sometimes you just have to be the one to carry that. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's narcissistic of me, but I, I can't imagine at this point, like going and having a producer do it for me and not because I don't think the music would be better, but just because my, I feel like my creative process, especially when it comes to the music itself, videos is a little more structured, but like with the music, it's just very messy and very like sporadic. And I'm not really someone who has a very clear image of what I want to make before I make it. It's a lot of it is just experimentation and, you know, mashing keys on the keyboard until something really cool comes out. And then I'm like, Whoa, what was that? Let me, let me record that. And then, you know, from there, it's kind of like, you know, the, the layers just kind of make themselves, but yeah, yeah, for sure. As we're getting on in time, I just wanted to leave room to mention if there's upcoming projects or if there's music that you want linked in, in the description, um, or in the, in the podcast notes, um, and that we could even talk about cause, um, you know, I think we've brushed over some of it, but if there's anything that you would love to give particular spotlight to. Yeah, I would say YouTube first and foremost. Um, that's kind of where a lot of my, my time is going right now. Um, other than that, besides teaching, I'm doing a lot of um, just client work. I, I'm working with a couple people from from college. Um, I'm working with a few just local artists. Um, the interesting thing with all of that is one artist in particular has kind of pushed me through just necessity to get used to recording my voice, which is something that's always been a very like, very, um, deeply rooted insecurity for me. Um, and something that I've struggled a lot with, but through like recording background vocals and hook parts for his tracks, um, you know, it's kind of been breaking down that barrier, which is something I'm super grateful for. And I, and I definitely needed that push. Um, you know, and so because of that, I'm launching a a new project that's it's not under my name um, where I'm going to be putting out an EP hopefully this summer. So I'm working on that right now. Um, so I don't have anything to link to it yet, but that's on the pipeline and that's something that I'm really excited about and something that's going to break down a lot of barriers for me. So And for what it's worth, I mean, if time comes uh, this summer when that, that comes out, I mean, I'd love to have you back for for something where we could just talk about and geek out over, you know, the making of a of of that project because that sounds super interesting. I'm I'm personally also working on uh, what I hope to be a, a a small EP that comes out this summer. So, um, I'd love to. I mean, even just personally, I'd love to follow that process. Yeah, to see yeah, what yeah, you're let's doing. Make it happen because I I that's the thing too is like I hear and with a lot of musicians that I work with, I hear what they're doing in the context of what they're working on as far as like what's making them, you know, money mm. and you still hear people's voices, but it's like, I want to hear like what's deep inside of your brain, you know, like just coming out in the project. So that'd be really fun. Yeah, for sure. Do like a track by track or something. Yeah. And I'll be sure to like link, uh, your YouTube channel below. Yeah. And then Instagram's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Um, I'm less and less active on the other social medias. This is kind of a, uh, um, un somewhat unrelated, but like, have you dove into TikTok yet? No. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there's a, there's a market there. I'm sure there is, you know, it's one of those things where it's a time thing for me. Um, how much am I willing to invest into something like that? It also feels, and I, and this could just be my own, my own biases, but I feel like something like YouTube where there's a lot more direct communication, there's a lot more, 
um, personalized kind of stuff. That's more appealing to me than having, you know, thousands of people like a TikTok video, but, you know, then just instantly move on to the next thing. It's definitely, I have, I've mixed feelings about it because I've seen people find like some close friends find real, like really unexpected success, uh, even like monetarily, um, where they can get work through it. Um, but it's also another platform that is like secretly, I don't think it's malicious, but it's just like, it's subtly like training everybody to have shorter and shorter attention spans. And that's something that I'm like personally struggling with. It's just like my attention span is so short. Um, where, where like if a YouTube video is 20 minutes long, I'm like, yeah, this feels like a big deal, Yeah, yeah, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I totally understand the contemplation with that because you've got a great thing going on YouTube. And especially if you're, you're still at that like interesting window where, you know, you see a K by the number, but you're also able to like interact with uh, the majority, if not like all comments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a really, that's a really beautiful thing. Cause that's, you're not at the point where, you know, I've seen, I've seen some YouTube channels go from like, um, hundreds of followers to 150,000 over quarantine. Um, and they, they are, they're always like over the course of those months, they're like, I'm, you know, leave a comment cause I'm responding to every single one. And then eventually they're like, I can't respond yeah. to these anymore. Yeah, yeah. I'm still looking at all of them sure. as much as I can. Um, uh, and then they're, you know, they're dropping merch and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's still a, it's still a, a valuable thing that you're able to like communicate with people who are, cause it does feel like a, a still like a teaching platform where people can say like, Hey, you know, I have a specific question about this thing in your video. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I made this, I got a patch bay for my rack. So I set that up and I made it, that was the last video I put out. And I had, there's this, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's a younger kid, but there's this, this, this person named Max who follows me and, um, you know, he tends to comment on most of my videos. He, he commented and said, Hey, I had a really bad day at school, but I was biking home and saw that you posted a video. I was thinking about your channel and it, it like cheered me up. It's like, come on, man. What? Like, really? Like that's, that's, that's amazing. You know, that's the kind of, I feel like that's the kind of in, engagement and interaction that I'm looking for with YouTube. And, you know, I know as I grow, that will become harder, but I think that's a good problem to have. I think it's just a matter of still trying to be intentional with it. Um, but that's, yeah, that, like that's what makes YouTube a lot more appealing than a lot of the other social media. Definitely. Plus, on, on a side note of that, I'm really not interested in being bombarded with like everyone, what everyone else is doing. Just for my own, like you're saying, attention span and like mental health and focus. And so that's a nice thing about YouTube is, and please, YouTube, don't ever change this, but I log on, I go on my thing, I just post my stuff and then I log out, respond to my comments. You know, Instagram, you want to see how your post is doing. You know, you got to like flip through three different pages, see a bunch of other posts. Like, it's just like, you know, then you're distracted. Yeah, I don't know. I got a love-hate relationship with social media. Yeah, as I think we all, we all do. (laughs) The key is to be like aware of what specifically, you know, you love and hate about it. Um, But yeah, it's, it's, it's great to see that like, I've heard so many big YouTubers say that the window for making uh, like making it on YouTube or making a living out of YouTube or just any income out of YouTube, they're like, that window is sort of closed. And I think you're just sort of like, I think proving that the algorithm changes, it doesn't necessarily rule out that possibility. Yeah. I mean, before I started my channel, I probably watched 10 hours worth of, is it too late to start YouTube videos? You know, 
And I think the people that say that it is are, you know, maybe trying to protect what they have and they don't want more people on, but there are so many more active users than they are channels. Just get, just start, you know, there's the audience is there really. You may not, you know, it may, it might take you five years to get to a hundred thousand, but the the thing that prevents people from getting to a hundred thousand is that they give up or they don't take it seriously enough more so than anything else, Mm -hmm. you know, because if you're, if you're intentional and you're doing the best you can to research and, and come up with strategies and you're consistent, you know, that's really all it takes. That's really all it takes. Um, you know, yeah. And that's what, that's what I found. And yeah, I just recommend it. I mean, I don't, I don't know how long of a long-term goal YouTube will be for me. It's really appealing as an income stream, but like I said, ultimately the goal is always to have it go back into the music because if I could be touring, playing shows, and and you know that that's where I want to be, but YouTube's fun too. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you're on your way to being more and more self-sustaining, um, with like the the content specifically being self-sustaining. Like you are self-sustaining, but having the content feedback and create that loop of income, like that's that's really exciting to see that start. Yeah, and and way sooner than I expected too. You know, and I think like I've, I'm. Uh, I've talked to a couple people who are, you know, like six figure YouTubers. And, um, one guy was saying too, like the, when he started doing it full time, he was at about 10,000 subscribers, you know? So it's like to hit a thousand in the first year, I'll be lucky if I make it to, you know, four or 5,000 by the end of this year. But by, by the time you get to 10,000, like it's not that, it's not that big of a goal. Like it's, it's obtainable, you know? And that's, I think something that that when I started, I wasn't that aware of, I was like, man, this is just going to take years and I don't have years. But then I would realize that I've been thinking of starting a channel for years. So I should have just started one. You know? Yeah. <laughs> the amount like, of time that you like stress about it yeah. could have been time that you were just getting there. That's a great takeaway. Only regret is I didn't start sooner, you know? Yeah. That's amazing, man. This has been, uh, this has been wonderful. Yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah. Super thankful and would love to spend time getting, to dive more into what you're working on and what you're passionate about. Maybe do that and then plan plan to try to reconnect over the summer on a, on a podcast episode or something. Likewise. Well, Jack, it was a pleasure to like officially meet you. Thank you. Likewise. Appreciate it.